Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth. No, it's, no, I'm not. Uh, Gareth is off this week, so uh, this is Adam McKenzie taking over as host. And joining me is Jonathan Bradley, as always. Hello, how's it going? And our special guest panelist this week, our fellow rugby correspondent, Michael Sadler. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? So, coming up today on this slightly different Ulster Rugby Roundup, uh, we look back at the Glasgow game, look forward to a massive Interpro against Munster, answer your listener questions, and take a look at all the club action. But, of course, we have to start with that win over Glasgow. Johnny, did we see that coming? Well... I think that we thought they would win, didn't we? Because mm. Glasgow essentially haven't had anything to play for for a few weeks. Um, sort of surprised by the strength of the team that Glasgow sent over, given that the, they're home and hose in first place. I thought it was more likely that we'd see them go uh, full metal jacket against Edinburgh this week. Don't know if uh, that'll still be the case, which might actually negatively impact Ulster. But uh, no, they played very well. There were... Sp- certain points of that game where it felt like the momentum was shifting back towards Glasgow but uh, that try um, in sort of about 25 minutes left really was the the main swing because it was all Ulster after that and then they obviously dug deep to uh, get the try in the what, 82nd minute with uh, Nick Timoney doing his best winger impression with a, with a great finish in the corner so I think it was obviously exactly what they needed. It probably still won't be enough to get them in the playoffs, but in terms of building the momentum and maintaining the momentum that they've had over the last few weeks, because as uh, as we've said a lot, um, it's the first time they've won three in a row since the first first couple of games of the season. So it's a big thing to have that momentum and still be alive in the first in the last weekend, no matter uh, no matter how it ends up. I might only left it late, but as Johnny says, they're still alive. Very much so. Um, I don't think we did at any stage reckon that they'd be in this position that they're in now, and though they're very unlikely, as, as Johnny's already alluded to, to manage to stop a third, they've got fourth guaranteed, and they are playing suddenly with something, some semblance of ambition, some semblance of structure. I like the way they're putting width on their game at times. Uh, it's a bit high risk, but it seems to work. I like the way Stuart McCluskey's throwing some offloads that are actually sticking. Um, they seem to want the ball and they also seem to be actually defending in a much more um, organised fashion than they have been up to now. So basically everything just seems to be coming together for them. It's just perhaps an awful shame that it's taken this long for us to see it. Yeah, because like, I think that's uh, that's been the interesting thing for me, the structure that they've been playing with. Because we've seen an awful lot of changes to the team, but they've been playing within the same structure. And it didn't always come off against, um, against Ospreys in terms of attack. But the amount of different players that they've used over this three-game run, you know, it's not simply because the internationals have come back. We saw Rory Best on the bench on Saturday and Henderson pulling out overnight, um, thanks to the birth of his uh, of his daughter. So there's an awful lot of encouraging things there. You just really hope that it's not uh, the influence of John O'Gibbs coming through uh, three weeks before he leaves. Michael, talk, talk to me about these young guys coming through because... Johnny alluded to it there. Tom O'Toole and Angus Curtis both coming on, making an impact late. How big is it to see these guys coming in? I think it's huge. I don't think anyone's hiding from the fact that Ulster are now a longer-term project than they've ever been before. 
And in order to, to get them back to where they were, it's going to take these guys coming in and being blended in and being seen. Um, I, th- I don't think anyone can have any great expectation even next season. This is, this is a long-term project here to try and haul them back to a place where they need to be again. And now you're beginning to see these guys coming on and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing okay. They're passing themselves uh, pretty well. They, it, they don't look over overawed or overwhelmed. Sure, there were issues with um, Tom O'Toole scrummaging, naturally enough, at, at, at 19, I think is what he is. That's, that's only to be expected, and we saw a bit of that in the Edinburgh game. But, you know, these guys are learning. There's only one way you can learn, and that's to get out there. And you might argue that, well, you know, they're not really playing for anything, are they? Well, actually, they are, because here we are in this position now where we actually have this, this notion that they can still get third. So it's not just a question of blooding them for the heck of it. It's actually trying to instill some sort of, uh, if you like, culture, some sort of structure moving forward. And these guys are part of it, no doubt about it. Well, Jono Gibbs mentioned some of the young guys, and we'll let you hear what he had to say at today's press conference about them now. Um, yeah, look, I think they've, they can certainly um, be, be pleased um, with how they've taken their opportunity. Um, I think a lot of those guys have worked really hard to... to to put themselves in the frame. Um, obviously, we've had injuries that have uh, affected some of those selections as well. But I think, you know, those young guys have, throughout the course of the year, when they've been at training, you know, they they, they try and um, they're trying their best. Uh, they're working really hard. They're staying behind, trying to do extras, trying to pick up things off the field. And um, you know, I think uh, you know those habits. Those are what you want to encourage, and um, you know I think they they've got their minutes based on what they put in, um, and I think uh, challenge for them is just to continue that development and keep putting pressure on on, on the other players and the the staff to to pick them. So on this week to another massive game, and it's down to Tillman Park to take on Munster, who last week were unfortunately knocked out of the Champions Cup by Racing ninety two. Michael, off the back of that game, what can we expect from Munster in terms of team selection, given that they've already secured second in Conference A? You would assume, though obviously nobody really knows that they are going to change things around. Um, They're secure, they know what they're doing. This is a game they don't have to win. Um, It's a game they may want to bounce back from, but surely you would look at it and think, look, you know, some of the key boys are not going to be asked to go again after what occurred in, in Bordeaux. That was a highly attritional, bruising game. You would assume that would be the case. Obviously, we won't know for sure what way they'll mix and match it. But, you know, you would think that if Ulster are going to go and get a result in Thoman Park, never mind the bonus point that they need, but just to win the game, that this could play quite well into their hands uh, if Munster select uh, what you might argue a more diluted side. Um, we don't know that yet, but certainly Ulster are probably, well, whatever happened, they were probably always going to be looking at the situation. If Munster had won in Bordeaux, they'd still be looking at doing the same, because then they'd obviously be looking further ahead at Pro 14 knockout and uh, Champions Cup final. Um, they've still got Pro 14 knockout, so you would like to think that there will be some changes, and uh, perhaps uh, after Simon Zebo was started on the bench, perhaps they would be very handy if he wasn't to be seen at all, but I imagine that they probably would start somebody like like possibly Zebo. We don't know, but like as the guys have been saying in, in, the, in the press conference, they know that they're going to be in for a battle in Thoman Park, and no matter what mindset Munster are in, they're not going to lie down and just think, yeah, the heck with this, we're not really interested in this game. So whatever happens, it's going to be tough. But I think certainly Ulster in that regard 
must be looking at that and thinking, well, you know, they've got to change things. It's not, it's, it's not just the uh, the Champions Cup semi, uh, semi-final either in Bordeaux because you have to remember that they were in South Africa for the two weeks before that as well. So they've had an incredibly intense run, um, the like of which we haven't seen before because obviously the addition of the South Africans this year, there was always um, question marks over how that would um, affect teams. We didn't see it with Ulster because Ulster had, I think, three weeks off after they were in South Africa. But for Munster, they had been away for those two weeks in South Africa. They took essentially their full squad to South Africa and then played them on Sunday. So I think it's only it's only natural that we're going to see a very different Munster team. But the thing that has to be remembered as well, I mean, Ulster haven't won in Filman Park for four years. And when they did that, it was a team that uh, was far from a full-strength outfit playing what was near enough a full monster team. So you can't really take things for granted in that way because the players that are coming in are going to be very hungry to show what they can do for monster. So, you know, you have that to sort of balance as well. Would you be better playing a team of 15 frontliners who are completely knackered and very uh, disappointed not to be preparing for a Champions Cup final the week after or 15 guys who are out there to show exactly what they can do when they pull that red jersey on. So it's tough to know. Um, Essentially, I think even if Ulster were to get an unlikely bonus point, I don't think, I don't envisage any scenario where Edinburgh don't get a point from a home game. You know, even if you look at Ulster as up and down a season as Ulster have had, you'd still back them to get a point in any home game. I think it was just the Leinster game that didn't get one in um, for the first time in years this season. So basically Edinburgh are going to take a point. So it'll all be rendered academic about two hours after the final whistle in Dolman Park. But to keep the momentum going ahead of a potential playoff, whether whether that comes to pass or not, um, with all the other permutations going on. But it's important to keep the momentum building and to finish the season on a high because when Ulster were in um, knockout games before, the season always ended on a sour note. Um, different maybe last season um, with beating Leinster and Ruan Pienaar's final game, but just to be able to carry something into into the summer. like If you go into the summer as bad as the season's been on the back of five wins in a row, if you can win this week in the playoff, then it just alters the mindset from what's been an incredibly difficult season mentally. Well, let's, let's say hypothetically Edinburgh don't get anything this week. How do Ulster get five points from Tillman Park? What what do they need to do, maybe more than anything else, to make sure they get four tries? Well, they just have to essentially build on some of the stuff that we've seen from very recently already. A high accuracy um, stability up front, some really, really good breakdown work as well is absolutely essential, and control, great control at halfback. Put all those combinations together. They look as if they have the ambition and the hunger with the ball going forward. Um, defensively, they look pretty sound at the moment. So if they put all those ingredients together, I don't see why they can't um, potentially win the game. Though I take, obviously, what Jonathan says, Munster will be very keen with the people coming in to make an impression. But... Uh, there's no reason I don't think why they can't make Ulster can't make a pretty good show of things here, and if they get things right and if everything goes well for them, 
and they have a, a great opportunity to not only win the game but potentially get that bonus point. But I guess I say I would agree with Jonathan. I think the Glasgow Edinburgh game is just it's not going to necessarily work out for them. So I think we'll be talking and thinking about Champions Cup playoff. Unless, of course, all these other bewildering scenarios come to pass, which mean that it doesn't happen. Uh, but I think they can go into that Champions Cup playoff in a very, very decent frame of mind, uh, playing the Ospreys again here, if they get this result in Thomond. And I think they can get the result in Thomond. Uh, but would I be surprised if they didn't? Not necessarily, but I think they can make a really good show of it. And you would feel, certainly, rather more confident about them putting in something a bit more substantial down there. And another close game, because some of the games down there have been very tight when they've lost. Uh, so I think it can be done, yeah. Are we expecting maybe quite a high-scoring game then, if Ulster are going for four tries and Munster are playing to impress the coach? I mean, it could be. There was the 2015 game around uh, Halloween where Ulster ended up taking two points from um, because they got the four tries. So it was what, three years ago now. Um, so you could see a game similar to that. As Michael says, these games have always been particularly close. You know, even last season, um, if the penalties in, at the very end had it went the other way, then also could have came away with the win. Um, it's, it is going to be an awful lot about mindset, I think, because even if you're looking at Munster as well, Munster, there might be this thing in the back of the mind that they don't really want to show their hands either because... At the end of the day, if Ulster were to uh, to get the bonus points that they need, they'd be going back there in a week's time anyway um, for a repeat of the exact fixture. So Ulster have said today, you know, maybe not the people that we should have been asking about it, but uh, Andy Warwick saying that, you know, they're not going to go out and play sevens or be and throw the ball around uh, with, with Gay Abandon, but uh, maybe some of the players that aren't props will, but... Um, I think for Ulster it'll be important not to chase because you look at what they did against Glasgow and they were able to get the four tries through their structures. You know, you don't have to go out. Maybe you kick to the corner more often and then go in for the post or whatever, but you were able to put yourself in a position against Glasgow and you were able to put yourself in a position against Edinburgh two weeks before to get four tries through what you were doing without saying, right, we're going to go out and... Uh, play sevens and run the ball back from behind our own post, you know? We t we've talked a few times about Zebra, if it came down to uh, Ulster and Benetton fighting out for that last Champions Cup spot, Zebra maybe letting Benetton get five points. Do you think there'll be anything for Munster? I wouldn't have thought so, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think uh, any Munster team is going to allow uh, an Ulster team to come down into Tillman Park and uh, come away with five points, just because it might be Theoretically beneficial for for Irish rugby. I don't think doing the work. I don't think Zebra will lie down either. I just think Teresa would have hammered them. Benetton. Teresa. <laughs> so, I suppose then, Michael, what, what's the prediction for this one? Oh, that's a very hard one. That is very very <laughs> difficult. Um, Put you right on the spot in your first yeah, appearance. <laughs> I know. Uh, the pressure. The pressure. Um, Monster have plenty of reason to produce, um, but I just get a sneaking feeling that Ulster just might do this but I just don't think that they'll get that bonus point and I don't think that that scenario that we talked about to get into Pro 14 knockout rugby will come to pass I think they I, I just have a hunch that they might just do this this time and that Munster just don't have that particular 
that desire and that hunger to really put themselves out there to win this game. I think that gives Ulster an opportunity, and I think the way they're playing at the moment, it's an opportunity that definitely can be taken. Four tries, I'm not so sure. I think it could be quite nip and tuck, but I, I do fancy Ulster for this one, so that's probably the end of that. That's the scud on that, without doubt. <laughs> Johnny, must have seen him? Yeah, I would actually, I would echo pretty much everything Michael said. They're given the... Uh, the desire that Ulster should have gone down there and the form that they've been showing the last three weeks, um, I think they should, not should, I, I think they, I think they'll edge it. Um, but I don't, probably don't see them getting four tries and as I said, I don't see uh, any scenario where Edinburgh don't uh, take something from that game too. Thank you to Michael who joined us for a review of Glasgow and they head to Munster. He's unfortunately had to run on, but it's down to myself and Johnny to address your listener questions, which I'm going to rename this week the Burn and Carberry section because that seemed to be anything that uh, the only thing that people asked about so the first thing i've got to do is <clears throat> eat my own words slightly because the blind side pointed out on twitter uh, that last week on last week's pod i said that uh, ulster weren't going to be offered either of carberry or burn that's the bottom line and uh, reports this week suggest that that is not the case that they have been offered so yep i'm going to eat my own words there and just Bite the bullet. We all uh, get stuff wrong. I get plenty of stuff wrong. The key is to highlight the stuff you get right. Okay, so I shouldn't have highlighted the fact that I got this wrong. <laughs> That's my fault. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on to some of your actual questions about Carberry and Burn because that seems to be the only thing you want to know about. So the first one comes in from Tom Armstrong, and he says, with Johnny McPhillips playing well since he came into the team and the likes of Angus Curtis, Michael Lowry, and Bruce Houston waiting in the wings, do Ulster really need Carberry or Burn? Surely a more experienced out half would be better than another young out half. Johnny, your thoughts? Well, look, we've talked about Laurie and we mentioned uh, Houston as well as guys that are sort of coming down the pipeline, as it were. Um, so there's very much an argument there for getting in somebody for two years to wait. Essentially, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that. It, given the choice between a young out-half from Ulster and a young out-half from Leinster, people would rather see the young out-half for Ulster playing for Ulster. Um, and that, to me, is the case. It, as it relates to Carberry and Byrne, I don't think people see Carberry and Byrne as the long-term fit. I don't think they'd be coming here to be Ulster's number 10 for the next 10 years even though they'd be of that age profile because people within Leinster would surely expect you know Johnny Sexton's what 32 and mm -hmm. um, whenever Johnny Sexton uh, retires one of them to be taking up the reins and that probably would still be the case if they were here on say a two-year contract and um, I mean, guys like Christian Leilefano are probably the alternative here. But then you're looking at it from an IRFU perspective. And, you know, we talked about Carberry and Byrne last week um, and whether it would make sense for them or not. From an IRFU perspective, obviously, they would rather have Carberry playing more at 10. But that doesn't necessarily mean that when Michael Laurie or Bruce Houston are ready to play, that they're not going to, I suppose. Mm. 
my my thought was, and you you kind of mentioned it there, Michael mentioned it earlier, Ulster in the middle of sort of rebuilding to try and get back to where they should be in a few years' time, not not really trying to be the big European heavyweights that they want to be right now. And you you were right in saying that these guys maybe two, three years down the line might be ready to take up that mantle. So bring someone like Lele Fano in or someone experienced to teach them. I mean, you, you look at how well McPhillips has done having had that tutelage from uh, Lele Fano. If he can do the same for Lowry and Curtis and Houston if he came back, you know that, that would be huge for those guys going forward. And then you do have three uh, Ulster guys playing fly half for Ulster going forward. And the option to play Leofano at 12 and you know, have Cooney on one side, a young out half in the middle and Leofano mm. on the outside of them. If that's you know how you want to blood the players, I think it's what we maybe expected to see more of when Leofano was here, but the way things transpired he was essentially the 10 and as much mentoring and stuff as he did off the field, we didn't see you know, we didn't see Johnny Phillips and Christian Lefano until December, really, in the same match mm. squad. Am I right in saying that? I'm not sure we ever did because was it not was it not Nelson who started at no, ten no, whenever Lefano made his only start at centre? Yeah, Nelson started at ten and Lefano started at twelve and again with Lefano captain. But just in terms of them being in the same match day squad for Connor the Way and mm. Leinster, Lefano played one of them, I think, didn't he? He did, yeah. Um, but you, you look at what they're trying to do with Tom O'Toole by having Rory Best alongside him. That kind of experience is huge for a guy. And you're right, you know, played Cooney at nine, get Lele Afano at 12. That's massive amounts of experience on either side of a guy who's still sort of learning his way into the team. So I think that's vital. I mean, we're going to have assumption that Lele Afano is available and would want to come back, but <laughs> Just, uh, I suppose, Lele Fano or Lele Fano-like figure is what we're talking about here. Yeah. Okay, so Ian Frizzle then asks, uh, again on Twitter, do you think having someone who doesn't wish to be here would be detrimental to the squad? This is alluding to the fact that neither Carberry or Byrne has said that they want to leave Leinster. I mean, I don't think... Again, we talked about this last week. You shouldn't expect Carberry or Byrne to come out while Leinster players still under contract at Leinster for beyond this year and to say that they didn't want to play for Leinster. So while not reading too much into those statements, I think it's also safe to assume that they're in an ideal world. They would both like to stay at Leinster as well, mm-hmm. in the same way that in an ideal world, Jordy Murphy would have preferred to stay at Leinster. But it's really all about mindset. I mean, you look at somebody like John Cooney is the obvious example of somebody who came up here and has really bought into what it means to play for Ulster in the same way that the guy that he succeeded Ruin Pinar did. And even guys like Al O'Connor and stuff who have come up and you know, Al O'Connor said previously throughout the season when you put on an Ulster jersey you're an Ulsterman. But the point that Ian's making, I would agree with. People have to want to come here. They have to have that John Cooney mentality that they want to come up here and prove themselves and prove that they could be playing for, for their native province. 
And unless that's the case, then I would absolutely agree that um, they shouldn't be in any way forced to come here. I mean, Leinster's scrum coach, John Fogarty, was up to media in Dublin um, a couple of days ago and said exactly the same thing. You know, we're not going to force anyone to go where they don't want to go. And it's obvious that you shouldn't force someone to go play rugby where they don't want to go because you're not going to get the best out of them. And then it's not the best situation for anyone, the player or the team that they're going to play for. Uh, Lawrence S made a very good point on Twitter that I just wanted to make uh, er, to point out and we've already mentioned him Michael Lowry is an exceptional talent awful luck with injury this season but he certainly deserves a chance he won't disappoint he's one of those Ulster uh, fly halves who's coming up through the system very impressive at skills level and he'll be working his way back with Bambridge next year um, yeah, I think he's back. He's back in training now, I believe as well. So okay, um, you know, getting back to fitness um, will obviously be a huge benefit to him. Mm. Um, but he probably has lost what would have been an important year, first year in the in the academy. So you know, you're probably not going to say that you're going to count on him next year. You're maybe going to blood him in in the way that we've seen with Tom O'Toole and Angus Curtis and Matt Dalton. Um, throughout this year, but you, you're not going to certainly annoy them to start in 10 just yet. I know no, nobody's doing that, but you have to remember that he's lost what would have been an important year of his development through injury as well. Uh, Bart S. asks on the forum, if you were Carberry or Byrne, would you want to join Ulster? You've, you've kind of addressed this. But... Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week. I think Carberry started eight games for Leinster this year, but seven of them have been a fullback. The only game he started at 10 was that the uh, Treviso game. <coughs> Benetton. Benetton, sorry. Um, <laughs> you can tell how sincere that apology was there by the, the side that was actually in the middle of it. But um, this was the interesting point that we sort of flagged up last week. Byrne, Carberry and Sexton at the minute for Leinster are all getting enough minutes. And that's why Leinster certainly would be loath to lose any of them um, because you know say Johnny Sexton gets injured then you will obviously want Carberry and Byrne Byrne has played plenty this year and looked very impressive when he has Carberry is getting games at fullback it's really from an Irish perspective that you just don't want this situation of Carberry playing at fullback when he's your backup 10 um so thank you as always for your listener questions keep them coming in throughout the week and over the weekend and we'll try and answer as many as possible next week uh, but we also want to discuss uh, someone else's comments this week in the form of a certain brian o'driscoll who made the point that he thinks ulster are a basket case at the moment i'll just read out exactly what he said uh, he was referring to Carberry and Byrne. He said, you want them to be good, but you don't want them to be really impressive because others will come looking for them. It's tricky for them because they are going to leave Carberry or Byrne a winning culture, a winning environment. And then he says, things are clearly not going right at Ulster. They don't have a coach and it's a little bit of a basket case at the moment. Johnny, your thoughts on his comments, please. I, like, I don't think this is somebody going completely off the reservation here and people have reacted quite strongly to it on Twitter like I know it seemed like Brian O'Driscoll was in constant 
a conversation with Ulster fans on Twitter for the last 24 hours. I just assumed he would be doing other things, but there we are. <laughs> um, the glorious life of an ex-rugby professional. Yeah, like I, I don't know what I thought Bernard was going to be doing, like champagne and caviar lunches or something, but I just... <laughs> I don't know, it just seems strange to me that he... It's obviously good that he's willing to interact with so many people on Twitter, but just the volume of the responses I find quite striking. But anyway, that's completely neither here nor there. Um, Looking at what he's actually said, he's basically said, would you want to go to a team that don't know if they're going to be in the Champions Cup next year and you don't know who the coach is going to be? That's essentially the core of it, is it? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So, I don't think that's like a wildly inappropriate opinion for somebody who's now in the media rather than a player to have. I think it's may it maybe upsets people because there are people who have played with Brian O'Driscoll. There, certainly someone here who coached Brian O'Driscoll. <laughs> um, admittedly, not as a backs coach, but a forwards coach. So. I think the the emotive term that he used was basket case that seems obviously became the headline naturally because you look at those quotes and you pick out the word basket case and you run with it from there um and that's probably the term that got picked up on by players and coaches in and around here as well but the actual substance of his statement that would you want to go and play for a team that is struggling to qualify or has struggled throughout the season to qualify for the Champions Cup isn't close and has admitted that they're not particularly close to winning trophies and crucially you don't know where or you don't know who the coach is going to be and all these things are important like you know you get guys like Louis Ludic who signed to play under David Humphreys and Mark Anscombe, and then arrived, and neither of them were here. I gotta think Louis would be particularly phased by these things, or uh, if he was, he certainly wouldn't complain about it because I just don't think he complains. But that's an unsettling situation for a player to be in, so I think you would absolutely want to know who the coach is, and that's a fair enough statement, I think. Jono sort of alluded to it in today's press conference. And uh, today is Tuesday. Whenever someone from outside an organization makes a comment about an organization, they don't know what's going on on the inside. Is it fair for O'Driscoll to be making these comments? Do you think? Well, why? Why is it not fair for Brian O'Driscoll to make it? Would it be fair if, like, a big name journalist? based in Dublin made these statements is it because Brian O'Driscoll's a former player is that why it's unfair because at the end of the day yes he is a former player and yes the words that he says carry a weight beyond that because he's arguably Ireland's greatest player but when it comes down to it Brian O'Driscoll is being paid by a media company to act as a pundit so he has to have you know he can't be asked on Ulster and say, oh, well, I'm not in the camp, so I can't make comment on it. Because, you know, then we could make comment on Ulster because we're not in the camp. If you say, and I don't think, I don't think this is what Jono was saying. I don't think anybody within Ulster would hold the view that only people within the camp um, are allowed to have an opinion. Now, it's been said, it's been said to me 
by uh, people this year that, oh, you know, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and that's fair enough. But at the same time, it's not going to stop people commenting on it because otherwise, what, you're only going to take official comment from uh, people who are in, you know, in the team because that's not how it works. So how well that was received when Shane Logan did that YouTube interview. <laughs> um, well, what interested me most was O'Driscoll then went on to make more comments today. And again, Tuesday, today is Tuesday, uh, where he said that Jordy Murphy would be considering a U-turn over his move to Ulster, which I think is quite interesting because, as you alluded to, he agreed to join whenever John O'Gibbs and Les Kiss were at Ulster, and of course now they're not going to be next season. So he's now getting plenty of game time at Leinster over the last few weeks. He's come in and he's done well for Ireland, and now he's joining a team where a coach he really wanted to come up with and work with is now gone. So he's probably got a lot of questions that he feels he needs answered. So I'll serve to try and adapt and turn turn all this change into a positive and say, you know, well, look, Brian, we, we are going through a bit of a tough spot now, but we're going to come out strong. I mean, what, what, what was your thoughts whenever you saw the, the article this morning? Like the comments that he made on Twitter, again, apart from ascribing feelings to Jordy Murphy, I think it's a natural question that if John O'Gibbs was a large driving factor behind Jordy Murphy coming to Ulster, then the fact that John O'Gibbs is not going to be here is obviously going to, you know, it's not like it's going to pass Jordy Murphy by and he's not going to, uh, not going to give it a second thought. Like, of course it'll play on his mind. The primary reason that Jordy Murphy is coming to Ulster and, you know, it's the same as why anyone at Leinster would come to Ulster at the minute because you're not coming to be more successful than you'd be down there. You're coming because you want to play more rugby. And even with Jimmy Heaslip's retirement and the injuries to Sean O'Brien, the fact that Jordy Murphy has started big games for uh, Leinster since he agreed to move, he'll still play more minutes for Ulster than he likely would at Leinster because you would think that when everyone's fit, he's very much going to be first choice for Ulster, which still might not necessarily be the case at Leinster. And you're again looking at it from the IRFU's perspective, where there's so many back rowers, because don't forget, like you've got Conan to come back in, Sean O'Brien to be fit to the start of the season, Dan Levy, Josh van der Flyer, and players below that as well, you know, Deegan and Doris and whatever. So there's still plenty of back rowers in Leinster competing much more than there would be at Ulster. So he'll still get the benefit of those extra minutes as much as I think it will, you know, he will have noted that John O'Gibbs is not going to be here anymore. But, you know, that's professional sport in a way. You know, Ulster thought John O'Gibbs was going to be here and they're having to move on. Truth be told, this time last year, they still thought Les Kiss was going to be here. But... Um, I suppose things change and one of the things about professional sportsmen is they are adaptable you know they have a different mentality to what um normal everyday people on the street would have so 
it's a question to ask Jordy Murphy, I would say, rather than anybody else. But I don't think Brian O'Driscoll has pointed out anything that wouldn't have crossed the minds of other people as well. You know, that's again, I don't think he's gone way into left field here to suggest that a player may be thinking about who the coach of the team he's going to play for is going to be. Well, he's got a bit of time to think about that because he's still with Leinster for the rest of the season. But one season that is coming to an end very quickly is the club season. And it's our weekly club roundup as we get to the playoff stage. And last week was a great week for Ulster clubs. Gareth's usually still good at linking into the club roundup, but it's a lot harder when it's me handing it over to me. Do you want me to do it? Okay, okay, you do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll be host for 30 seconds here. And it, while there were big events happening at Kingspan Stadium, it was a huge weekend on the club scene, and I believe Adam's here with our with our roundup of everything that happened. Oh, I thank you, host Johnny. <laughs> yeah, in Division 1, in the Division 1A playoff in the Ulster Derby, Bambridge's late penalty try saw them defeat Hinch in a thrilling 28-24 matchup at Rifle Park. In the Division 1B playoff, City of Armagh went on the road to Highfield and won 27-13. Big win there. In the Division 2A playoff, Rainy Old Boys defeated Barnhall 26-14. And in the Division 2C playoff, Quinns, Belfast Harlequins defeated Malahide 19-13. Well, there was a big win for Oma as they beat Toman 34-13 at the Thomas Mellon playing fields. So that means that the big promotion finals coming up this Saturday uh, in Division 1A, Bambridge will host UCC. In Division 2A, City of Armagh will host Nina Ormond. Uh, sorry, in Division 1B, City of Armagh will host Nina Ormond. In Division 2A, Renial Boys will host Navin. And in Division 2B, Belfast Harlequins are at home to Oma in the big Ulster Derby. And after Quinn's big win over Malahide, I spoke to their captain, Danny Annett. Yeah, ultimately, you just, uh, you know, this is sort of like a cup rugby sort of thing. So we just got to get through and, and get into the next game. Um, so obviously, we've got, we've got plenty to, to work on in terms of performance. Um, we left it sort of late to kind of finish finish the game off um, and we know going into next week it's, it's going to be another tough game so lots to work on um, but ultimately yeah just the win's the most important thing we knew we had the match then they have a couple of real good good players in the pack so um, our pack's been going quite well recently we, we were going in a lot of confidence that we could we could take them on um, but obviously a, a hot day like there you know we, we know that we just have to keep the tempo high and keep our pack moving um, so it was good to see guys you know last 80 minutes and they were still there was no struggle along and um, I thought the pack did very well, the scrum was good, um, and obviously the line-out bar a few sort of mistakes midway through the game, we finished it off well with a good try. Flint's captain Danny Annett there talking after their win over Malahide, but really the big drama came at Rifle Park, that late, late, late penalty try, winning it for Bambridge against Balnhinch. I got it wrong. Um, I... See, this is what I'm telling you again. You're saying you got it wrong. The way to paint this. Oh, yes. The way to paint this is as a podcast, we tip Bambridge to win. So we, and I include me in that, got it right. Um, the collective got it right. Now we got it right. So uh, well done to Bambridge. They go on to face UCC this weekend for a place in 1A. Johnny, how impressed with you? 
or how impressed have you been with Banbridge over the course of the season? Not not necessarily just uh, semi final. Not necessarily how impressed I was at a game I was not. <laughs> and yeah, it's been hugely impressive what Banbridge have done. We've talked about it um, at length, the Dan Soper effect throughout the season. Um, and he's put together a very impressive unit. Um, Rory Best having a wee bit of uh, input on the coaching there. Everything seems to be going very well for them as a club. Because you know what, 90, what year? It's 2018, so yeah, 20 years ago. Um, Great mental mouth there. Yeah, I was like. 2018 minus 1998, yeah. Um, 20 years ago, you know, Banbridge were only becoming a senior club and to now be on the very cusp of being among the top 10 teams in Ireland is a huge, huge achievement. Um, to beat to beat Balnehinch, really a victory that was almost set the week before in terms of what they did to pip Balnehinch in the second to be able to host that game is a huge swing. Then to come back from where they were because it looked very much like Balnehinch were in control of that game. So to be able to come back and win that later on is a testament to what they're doing as well. Interesting game this week. I've seen UCC a couple of times, obviously always away. Um, <laughs> haven't haven't been to Cork. Um, <laughs> so you're not wanting to take the four and a half hour trip down to Cork to see UCC a few times. I think our. Uh, Four and a half hour journey to Limerick on Saturday, and then back home on one day will be uh, will be enough, don't you? Uh, probably, yeah. Um, That'll be enough to tide us over until the start of next season. Yeah. Um. So, I think yeah, I think Bambridge. Let's let's not beat around the bush. Bambridge should win this game, and then promotion will be a huge achievement. To be the only Ulster team in 1A would be a huge achievement. It's a big thing for Ulster Rugby to get a team back into that top mm. tier. Um, we're seeing the way that their success is a, a really strong blend of what the club are doing and the Ulster players that they're getting because, you know, James Hume and Michael Lowry, two players that Dan Soper knows very well from Inst weren't able to play for huge stretches of this season. Um, you know, the other players that they've had available to them have been in and out. So it's a huge testament to what they're doing as a club. We shouldn't speak too soon because they still have to win the game. So, uh, <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, they can they can do that on Saturday. A very quick word on Hinch, who must be really hurting after being top with two games to go and now are facing another year in one day. Yeah, it's a hugely disappointing season for our end of the season rather for Hinch obviously with uh, with Brian McLaughlin in charge there, big things were expected and for a huge part of the season it looked like big things were gonna happen for them. But look I think Hinch will regroup because there's a strong structure there. There's a good team there as well that'll come through. It's just just haven't been able to, to finish it off this season, but you know, I suppose guys like Aaron Cairns and stuff um, who have been available. Losing Johnny McPhillips was halfway through the season was a blow, but I look at it, I think they'll be there or thereabouts again next year as well. Well, our game of the week 
I have made the executive decision to make it Belfast Harlequins against Oma, the Ulster Derby, for a place in Division 2B. Uh, I was at Quinn's last week, and I thought they were much improved on the past few times I've seen them. Uh, I thought they really took it to Malahide, who were really up for it. They came up, and uh, they were very much eager to get up to 2B, but Quinn's... Quince just sort of shut them down at points and they really just controlled the possession battle, which I was very impressed with. Uh, but certainly Oma will be fancying their chances. I mean, the, the possibility of consecutive promotions would be massive for them. What are your thoughts going into this one? Yeah, like, Harlequins have shown a good bit of fight these last couple of months because it's been a really difficult few year, few seasons for Harlequins, like, and... Um, Obviously, Nicky Wells in there now. They do seem to have developed a bit of uh, just a bit of dog about them over the last couple of weeks, and it was a really good result um, for them at the weekend. It's a tough one. It's a tough one against Oma. It really is. Um, There's only two of us here at the moment, so. See, that's the interesting thing. You said you you made the uh, executive decision. If, which you, you often do, but it feels a lot more autocratic when you're making executive decisions and there's only two of us. Well, I was going to say I'll give you choice over who wins this week, but if you want me to go autocratic again and make the call for us. I think Omar are going to win. Who do you think is going to win? I was going to say Belfast Harlequins, but... Oh We're going to have to get Gareth. <laughs> What's your no, name off, anyway? No, I, I said to you that I would give you the, the choice. So you said Oma. So as a podcast, we're going to go for an Oma win and they'll get promoted. I think people are, people are well aware that most of these predictions are just, uh, just guesswork at this stage anyway. So, and I always have ridiculous reasons for, for picking things. So essentially my dad's from Oma, you know, it's, it's his hometown club. So, uh, I'll pick against it. Well, there you go. There's conclusive proof that uh, Omar are going to win this week. And that is our podcast this week. Thank you very much for listening. As always, you can get us on the Belfast Telegraph website and on SoundCloud. We both will be in Limerick this weekend. so Yeah, we'll probably hit Navin by the time those all our league games have kicked off. So we won't see any of them. Wonderful. I, I was actually thinking that. I was... Thinking as I was sitting in Darmore Park last week, I really want to be back here next week. And then remembered I will be driving at about, well, maybe I shouldn't say how fast I'll be driving down the, really? down the motorway to Limerick. It's a, it's a speed limit, not a speed target, man. All right, all right. Well, anyway, yes, that is our podcast for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Gareth should be back next week. Let's hope so. Gareth's the glue here. Gareth is absolutely the glue here. I feel like my first experience of hosting has gone very badly. You'll have to be back because there's every chance that it might be our last one of the season. That's a very good point. No, it can't be because they're guaranteed at least the European playoff. I don't want to get into the permutations, but <laughs> there is a possibility that that European playoff doesn't happen. Anyway. Which would leave next week as our last podcast, if that were to come to pass. Good grief. This is the longest, most drawn-out end to the podcast we've ever had. Well, it could have been longer if I had actually went into the permutations, but I'm not going to do that. They're on to From Johnny Bradley. Cheers, guys. And from myself, Adam McKendry, thank you very much for listening. Bye.